Thanks for coming back. In this episode, I'm talking with the awesome Tori McNo. Tori and I have known each other for a few years as she's journeyed from being a UC student here up to the University of Auckland, where she's working in a really interesting space, trying to weave together Mataranga Māori or indigenous knowledge within this commercialization space at the university um, and some of the tensions that come along with that. She's also a staunch advocate for supporting Māori youth voice and uh, finding a way that rangatahi Māori can be heard within the city, within their community, within their workplace, whatever else it might be. So we jump backwards and forwards around a few different things. Now, I'm going to apologize. We had to record this in a cafe because it was the only place that we could find time and space. So there's a little bit of background noise, but hopefully all the audio comes through and you enjoy this kororo with Tori McNo. Thanks for coming back. Uh, as you know, my name is Ekant Veer, and today I am here with Tori McNo. Now, Tori has, oh, Farah, how long have we known each other? A few years now. Yeah. You know, five, 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 six years. Five, six years or so. Yeah. Tori is currently the Pōtaki Hononga over at the University of Auckland, my alma mater, working in the commercialization space with uni services. And I'm going to let you describe your role because I read your profile ahead of time because I know Tori, but I don't know Tori as the uh, Pōtaki up in uni services. Well, I think you'll do a better job than I will. But for me, Tori, you've got this amazing blend of someone who has come from small town New Zealand, who has now made it in the big smoke of, of Auckland, but you've never lost your roots. And if anything, you've grounded your roots even deeper. And I really wanted to have a chat with you about the role you play, not just in advocacy with rangatahi, with youth, and, and how important that is to you, but also your advocacy with your own walk in Te Reo Māori and Te Ao Māori and, and who you are as a person as well. And how you blend that with that, the, effectively the Western world and, and that sort of space. I struggle with this myself, trying to decolonize my own thinking from an English Indian perspective, living in a colony. Uh, and so weaving that into an indigenous knowledge base as well, where you are at, I think will be really interesting. So Tori, I would love you to start by just maybe introducing yourself, telling us a bit more about you and especially, you know, your background and how you've got to this point in particular. Okay, cool. Uh, firstly, tēnā koe. Nice to see you. Um, nice to be here in this beautiful outdoor setting as well. Um, oh, no. Beautiful blue skies. It's so much better than Auckland at the moment. Okay, so who am I? Um, so I guess... Um, ko Tori McNo, tōku ingoa. Um, ko Ngāti Raukaua, Ngāti Tahu Ngāti Whaua. Um, uh, what's the last one? Uh, te Arawa. Oh, don't tell them I've got that. Don't forget Te Arawa. Yeah, hoki oku iwi. So my whakapapa from a Māori perspective is back to um, like the central North Island area. Um, and then on my mama's side, um, ko, uh, no uh, Liverpool. Well, um, and I read this. I don't think you knew this. So I'm from Liverpool as well. This is why I have the thick Scouser accent, clearly. Wow. No, so I was born in Liverpool, but grew up down south. And I read yeah. that in your profile. I'm like, I didn't know your mama was from Liverpool. Yeah. Does she still have the Scouser accent? Or no, she, no, she doesn't. So she moved here when she was about eight years old. Oh, okay. Um, but my grandparents are over here as well. So my, and they still have thick Scouser accents. Brilliant. Um, and so I commonly like to refer to myself as if you know anything about the Māori contents, it's that, you know, our traditional food, uh, ways of that that we cooked food was in a hangi context mm -hmm. and then over in Britain they love a scone and so the best um, collaboration of that is definitely fry bread. Um, Perfect. So you, get the, you know, so I just call myself a little Māori piece of fried bread walking around doing it. my thing. Yeah. Perfect. Um, which is lovely. Um, and I guess to who I am, um, so obviously I say my name, Tori McNo, Tōku Ingoa. So uh, I, my job at the moment, I guess, is uh, a role called Pōtaki Hononga, 
Um, and it has a translation, um, an English translation, which is definitely not a translation, it's just an extension mm. of um, investment development lead um, at Uni Services, which is a wholly owned um, subsidiary of the University of Auckland. And our job is to look at technologies coming out of universities, um, all that have potential to impact beyond mm. thesis written on a shelf type sure. stuff or paper published. Um, and bringing that into like a real world context. Um, so for me, I see it very much as like, um, while the name investment is there, it's more about how do you let these things have impact beyond the four walls of a university, really. Sure. Um, and then my role is to do that in the Māori context. So the Pautaki Hononga um, actually translates roughly to something like a relationship facilitator uh-huh. or, um, like a guardian of relationships in that sure. space um, so my job will be I don't do all of these things right now um, <laughs> is yeah to look at how the, our Māori communities connect to the space and what commercialization looks like for them sure why it looks that way and that line seems like it's it's a difficult line to draw anyway I mean there, there are going to be things that are obviously this will have an impact with Māori if you're using indigenous uh, technologies, tools, mm. knowledge systems. This makes sense. Mm. But then, where do you where do you get to the point where you say, actually, I think Māori could really benefit from this, and this is how we're going to try and weave in mm. some some authentic the Māori? Or do you kind of say, no, we only do the things that obviously mm. on the surface look like Māori, and we, we yeah. leave the Pākehā to the one side? Well, for me, I think I think when I think about it very obviously and simply, it's bookended in terms of the process that we're trying to get from A to C to, so we're trying to be B, Yeah, that makes sense, okay. B, B. Um, so like from a, a university um, technology production perspective, there is, Mātauranga Māori is used all the time in universities, whether that's by Māori or not, mm. um, that could be in the form of um, uh, like indigenous knowledge from a process perspective or our Taonga species mm-hmm. and using those, if you don't know anything about those highly recommend looking up the Y262 claim, it'll tell you everything you need to know, those kinds of things. Um, and our Māori people are mm. in and around the universities all the time creating new knowledge. Of course. Um, and then on the flip side of that, we have this quoted $90 billion Māori economy. Um, we have all of these funds kind of beginning to um, look at, I guess, new emerging technologies and how they, from a Māori perspective, um, and how they transition into the communities that they need to be sure. um, and so for us we're trying to build if A is the university context and C is this um, economy ready to catch them where is Where's the bridge the and, how d- and how do we make sure that bridge is authentically done not just tokenistically or whatever else yeah, it might be yeah. and, and I guess you and I first met when you were here at UC you were studying you were I, I don't know if it was when you were on the executive or when you were president yourself but uh, so as UCSA <laughs> UCSA president uh, really advocating for young people and and for me that's where it's it's fascinating watching your journey kind of being so involved still back in Tamuka is your your whakapapa I guess and, yeah. and your 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 tūranga waiwai I guess down in small town New Zealand but also being so focused on youth there youth at UC and then now up in Auckland in the big smoke and smoke and still being involved with with anything there but still having this this poor this this mantle of well I'm in the commercialization team as well you know how do you how do you blend those worlds of of being so passionate about young people as well as uh, mahi work do you get a chance to do that so well um it's definitely hard I'll I'll say that I wake up um most days 
and feel very motivated to go to work but also very confused about what I'm doing. Um, and work for me isn't just the Pautaki Hononga context, as you've noted, it's like back there, there's some work back home in Te Umakaha, Tamuka, which is where all of my family still are, so mm. like I'm literally the only one not there um, from our immediate family context. Sure. Um, and then I guess right through to what I do in a very, commu- and it can be seen as very commercial, and a lot of Māori will get uh, very hesitant towards the idea of commercialization etc because it feels like a take take sure, sure, sure. I guess the common thread for me is that um, I from a rangatahi perspective I lean into that because our job is like custodians of like the future right and so we have to speak cool. up and say we need these things we want these things and we need to be involved in these spaces um, because we are going to inherit whatever you do now for sure. Um, and so the reason I guess I'm so passionate about that is because we've put these very intense structures around certain things that mm. we um, think belong to certain people or certain communities or, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I, I guess specifically in the Māori sense, um, outside of being rangatahi, can see all of the benefits, not that money gives to things, but the process of commercialization can mm. give to spaces and places. Um, and then kind of weaved within that what rangatahi can do for that space. Um, and so for, for me, when I look at, I guess, the common thread between um, being able to transfer knowledge outside of an institution back into a community that it should benefit, and maybe they make a bit of money off that, maybe it's just beneficial in terms of the knowledge that they have and they don't Brilliant. want to yeah. make any money off it, that's fine. Um, I see that as not only good for Māori and rangatahi, but good for all New Zealanders. Of course. The thing that I keep steadfast to is definitely that 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 thing about, well, are you doing something that makes this country and the world a better place? Yes. Keep doing it. Cool. Well, <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> but I mean, I mean and... I think that beautiful blend that you bring, you've said the words mataranga Māori or Māori knowledge systems a few times, you've talked about rangatahi and, and, and passing on knowledge and, and capacity and things like that. Um, you're in the hotbed and from an academic sense, the, the letter about whether mataranga Māori counts as science or not came out of the University of Auckland and there was a, a few, obviously plenty of people who agreed with that, but plenty of people who also said, no, that's kind of dumb. Of yeah. course, knowledge is science. We might not use the same systems or processes. Uh, I, the, the example I use a fair bit, I think it was actually a University of Auckland study that found that the Kawakawa plant had up to 41 medicinal properties and and just the memes around all my Māori colleagues are like, wow. well, no kidding, <laughs> no shit Sherlock, we've known about this but now the white person has said this is okay therefore it definitely is scientifically proven yeah. as opposed to mythology. Um, how do you, how, I mean without being too controversial because this you're still in the job how do you get people on side with something that feels very pakia commercialization of science mm. and finding investment opportunities for scientific outputs mm. which is very western capitalist yeah how do you match that with mataranga Māori? can you do that uh, not entirely no because if we were to go completely like purely mataranga Māori then we would have to literally um, decolonise this whole space and also remove all the Pakiha from ourselves as Māori as well, etc, etc, which is just not possible, right? And you so, don't, you can't do that in a year. No, it's you not, can't. No. And and also, we've, we've toyed with the idea of decolonisation and, you know, and stuff like that, and we've realised actually that's not the right language to be using because we can't fully decolonise. We benefit from 
whether it be little or um, less than, I guess, a lot of our Pākehā or privileged whānau, mm. um, we benefit from a system that is here and part of the colonised context as well. And so we, there's not really an option for us to be, as I see it anyway, um, completely isolated from the Pākehā world, back on our marae, living in our pupus, you know, that kind of thing. As much as that would be amazing and awesome, um, it's, it's not how we live in the current day and age, right? And so what we're, what I toy with anyway is this modern idea of what that looks like in a um, context where I don't have to choose between being Māori and Pākehā yeah. in any space that I'm in. So I have the option and the frameworks are there for me to easily dip in and out of of both worldviews, mm. right? Mm. So for me, that actually comes back to the process. Um, and so what does the process of commercialization look like? Um, and in particular, what are the driving forces for you? Yeah. Not you, but you know, someone yeah. who's entering commercialization to to want to be there. Mm. And for us at the moment, I think a, lo- a lot of the um, questions that we ask and the reasons that we might enter commercialization from a Pākehā perspective, don't necessarily align with a Māori perspective. Sure. Um, typically for them, it's um, for us, sorry, them. See what I mean? It's so hard to dip in and out. <laughs> um, for, for us, it's a, a, a more holistic, um, maybe like benefit sharing type process mm. where um, money is a means to an ends of well-being sure. generally. Um, and that's not to say it can't be like that for Pākehā, but generally the drivers are like that for Māori. So some of the questions we've been asking at the moment is, even in that beginning process of how you approach commercialisation, would we be asking as Māori different questions to what a, say, a Pākehā researcher or person engaging with the process of commercialisation might be asking? And typically the answer is yes. So, for example, from a... a Māori perspective, um, we would probably be driven by the aspirational purpose um, driven context of the kaupapa and the science or the innovation or the technology is secondary to that. Okay. Um, and so, and that's again, not to say that Pākehā can't do can't that, do but it's, it's a and good example. And not to say that Māori can't do it the other way, you know, be, be exactly. dedicated to the science but then weave in the, uh, the kaupapa. The kaupapa, yeah, yeah, yeah but they, they t- tend to start from that area. Sure. So that's where you get all of these um, values that most people probably see in the workplace and don't understand deeply, like yeah. all the tangas, like kotahi tanga, whakawhanaunga tanga, all of those things. Um, and so, um, kind of, I guess, when we lead with say even like a research project or something like that it's normally led by some of those values in the first place for sure um and so some of those questions that we've been asking about where the idea comes from or the reason that you engaged with the science in the first place etc etc the why yeah yeah allow you to build a very different structure from a company perspective sure um as opposed to if you were doing that directly from the science and then happened to stumble upon the fact it's commercially led right so some of those things, the obvious differences for me that I've seen, um, are, for example, a lot of the reasons for commercialising something from a Māori perspective might be a wider economic development mm-hmm. play. So mm-hmm. it's actually about taking it back to their rohi or their, their hapu, yep. um, making sure that they own the knowledge um, and then 
the, there's a, there's a, we would set up a benefit sharing agreement to ensure that multiple parties can benefit from that. So that legacy knowledge. is established and yeah, that, yeah, it's yeah. disseminated. And um, it's, I've heard this a few times from a pedagogic perspective, but from an inclusivity perspective. If it's good for Māori, it's good for everyone, mm. sort of thing. Uh, is that the same in the commercialisation sort of space? Because you do say that there are people who come with different lenses coming mm. in. Are there times when you go, you know what? my work is not going to help you in this, you do you, or do you, do you try to weave in a little bit of Mataranga Māori into everything? Um, I think we could learn a lot from a, a, a Mataranga-led um, process or a kaupapa Māori-led um, process around um, approaching things like um, research, etc, etc. I think in past, right, um, we might have engaged with research at the expense of the tiles, the environment, yep. often, um, and gone, oh, I need to do this research on this type of species, and so I just need to take sure. this species, or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, or um, another, I guess another good example is the, the idea of whakapapa, so the legacy or the, mm-hmm. the um, what do you call it? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing of everything for us has whakapapa. So when we're doing, like, um, we do a lot of um, medicinal development sure. type stuff at uni services, and um, when you're kind of trying to isolate a specific, um, say, like microbiome from a plant or something, in the Māori worldview, you're taking away its whakapapa, so you're I going, see, you're, yeah. it's reductive. So, how you approach that process with saying, and that's why, sorry, I'm jumping that's things okay. here, but that's why the whole kawakawa example is really interesting because then they've realised the whole plant actually has multiple benefits. Sure but they didn't realise that prior because we were isolating specific... It um, needed the intersection of all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, molecules or microbiomes or something from it, and a more holistic view of that would have said, actually, even from a Western perspective of science, we can validate that Kawaka has all of these properties. And yep. that's why Māori are going, well, we told you we this told years you. ago, <laughs> yeah, but it just wasn't validated by your... Systems perspective of things, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, I guess, some of the ways that we... It, it is possible, um, but it does take some shifting in process sure. to be able to yeah. approach a problem with And like, come from that perspective. Yeah, Mātauranga Māori can be a little bit in yeah. everything. And Professor Angus McFarlane calls it um, Heo Awa Whiria, that, you know, the, the, the great, uh, that sort of bringing together. Um, uh, Te Māori Tau calls it um, uh, Hai Hai Moana, that's kind of the, the, the braided rivers approach. The ways in which we can blend Western and Māori knowledge, the ways we can decolonize or indigenize or whatever you want to call it, the ways we do things in order to get the best from both, whilst respecting what each brings to the table. Is that a process that you purposely, consciously take, or is that just mm. part of who you are when you say, you know, well, it's so difficult to switch mm. out of this? And to, you know. Yeah, I don't think that's, if you take that up to the principle, yep. as in like how you make decisions with multiple sure. worldviews coming into it, the principle of that is like, essentially, in my view, being more human. So understanding that multiple humans sit around a table at any, mm. if it's a table, hopefully it's not a table, because tables are boring, um, sit around a, a a table and make decisions at any given time. We always talk about this idea of diversity, right? And mm. that if you have diversity of thought and diversity of people, et cetera, et cetera, that all of those people feeding in um, means that ultimately it might take longer, but you're going to make a better decision. And Things so that's be where we come to the idea that what is good for Māori is good for everyone. Sure. Because why wouldn't people just want to make better decisions? <laughs> um, but what that takes is, I think, some level of um, 
I, I want to say compromise because that sounds like you have to let go and mm. put it, but um, some level of understanding, understanding from human to human yeah, first yeah, yeah. that we're all carrying world views um, and then kind of reconciling them to make the best decision for sure and so at the table yeah and this is where you know Fuck for knowing Tonga doesn't exist in the India, my my culture of India, but it does exist in that we introduce ourselves by a fucker papa. We we share. Well, I'm this person's son. I'm this person's grandson. Or this is, and and we we weave in contextualization and relationship by taking that approach. Um, and I've been in some meetings where people just go straight down into let's get down to business and it feels really weird if I've never met this person before and we've never actually established any phenomenon if that makes sense mm. do you get this uh, you know do you do, are there times where you spend time not educating but trying to bring a little bit of human to human culture I guess or human to human building into your work yeah yeah I do and I get it on both sides which is really interesting <laughs> so and I think sometimes we can be so indoctrinated by like saving our culture etc etc that we forget to do the human to human stuff sure. as Māori um, and I was in a, a meeting with someone from NZTE the other day and um, the, the guy said to me, oh, tell me, tell me about yourself. And I thought straight into, oh, so my role is Pōtaki Whanonga, etc. And he's like, no, I want to know your whanonga. And I was like, holy crap. I completely I've, forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I've been indoctrinated into the, the Pākehā way of working mm-hmm. for like the last four weeks or something. Sure, sure, sure. So much so that I haven't actually had to introduce myself from a whakapapa perspective from a whakapapa. that even I forgot. That you forgot. Yeah. And, and even when you're on a space which is clearly Māori, it, yeah. it's still hard to, to bring it. Really hard. Māori except for the fact there's like a Zoom screen of it. <laughs> Um, but I guess, like, yes, I do find it hard. And for and for me, I think I find it hard because when you know each other on a human-to-human level, your the intentions seem clearer yep. and more truthful. And and it means that, like, even if we do something, for example, that, like, if you and I were embarking on a project together and you did something I didn't like, or vice versa, there's a there's an establishment there to say, like, well, actually, even though I don't like it, he's still human and I can see... Where he comes from. Where he comes from. What the reason is, as opposed to just a, a blind decision from someone who is you've got a transactional relationship with. Yes. You know, yeah. And that sort of thing. Um, you you talk about yourself being fry bread. You know that kind of blend <laughs> between cultures and people and stuff. I also know that you know your your journey with your own Mariness mm-hmm. has been a reasonably new one. You didn't grow up on the Marae, did you? No. You didn't grow up speaking to the Māori. You're still on a journey there, you know. And this is the experience for a lot of Māori. What's it like taking a role like this? I mean, yeah, it. We talked about it a little bit last night, but sometimes there are difficulties, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, there is a lot of difficulties that come with it because you're when you're wor- walking through two worlds, you're doing this dual reconciliation thing. Whereas it's hard enough as a young 25 year old trying to figure out where you stand in life and like freaking purpose of life is and all of these things like it, you know, because we all think we're. Don't worry, once you get to 43, you've worked it all out. You're yeah, fine, fine. yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> no. I'm kind of realising that everyone just doesn't really know what they're doing. No one knows, no one knows. We all figure it out along the way, right? Um, I guess for me, um, it's it's hard on my, um, even my home whānau side, because I do get these questions of like, um, well, you know, don't forget you're from Liverpool too, and like, or like, you know, you're Pākehā as well, and stuff like that, and having the burden of re-explaining why it is I'm trying to overtly put the Māori stuff first because sure. everything around me resembles a Pākehā yep. or constitutes a Pākehā Everything's influence a Pākehā on my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, versus 
then when you're in the Māori world, yeah. not necessarily being able to converse as fluently as everyone else. Um, um, yeah, as you say, not growing up on my marae, so some of that protocol, etc., not being second nature to me and all of those yeah. kinds of things, do make that yeah. journey really difficult. And, and this is not to say my experience is the same as your experience or anybody else's experience, but the way you say uh, said at the start, um, you know, there are questions around uh, around where your role is and, and blah 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 and the privileges that colonization or you know the British have brought to my country of India uh, and me just trying to explain but that doesn't make me any less brown no and it doesn't make things any less difficult I have privileges for sure as a result but they also come with burdens and and you try and walk those roles and walk those worlds do, uh, do you do you get a point where there's this is all a bit too difficult? <laughs> so, um, or are you still fighting the good fight because you're young and you've still got energy? Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely the former. Um, uh, and if, if it is the latter, it's because I've taken a massive break and talked to all the people who I need to talk to good and all those things, right? Um, but it is, it is really difficult. I think for me, if, to be like super personal, it even comes down to like, you know, when you're um, navigating like relationships, and I mean like even romantic relationships, it's like, you know, can this person that I'm in a relationship with support me in the right way because mm. I'm trying to navigate two worlds and do they understand both and, and do you have to re-explain this stuff blah, all blah, blah. the time yeah yep yeah and what do you want out of life for me it's like it's so strange that I don't want to be overseas right now because I feel inauthentic leaving when I when I don't necessarily have the skills to keep connecting to my Māori tanga sure. away from home and so I need to be here absorbing all of that yeah but then all of my friends are overseas and like you know and so um I think for me it's the way I would explain it is that it's when you're doing kind of like double that effort so you think you're navigating yourself in two worlds yeah um from a maturing in both sides perspective but also you think about all of the other things that you just deal with in a normal context like the generational divides mm-hmm. that we typically have and so I'm trying to explain to my Māori elders, like my kaumātua and my rangatira, um, as well as like the elders that live in the Pākehā world, the same thing, but they have very different views of like how, yeah. how say, commercialisation should look sure. in 20 years' time, etc. Sure, so you're sure. trying to reconcile two worlds all the time, which just means you need double the rest time, or double the alcohol. <laughs> that's a that's a great message for the rangatahi. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So when you turn 18, you find me in a bar. <laughs> find um, it. Yeah. And, um, and just how you reflected on it, it feels difficult to go away. I don't know if I've ever connected you with my mate Julia Arnold Nene. Oh yeah, yeah we're so, great. We, we, we talk yeah. all the time. So you, so and Julia's got this beautiful story of going overseas, yeah. of traveling the world, of being having this amazing life with, you know, head of technology for HP in San Jose or whatever it is, mm. and then going, my people back in Aotearoa in the Pacific need me. I need to be back where my people are too. And so she's been able to do almost the opposite, go away and bring that sort of mana back while you're here building the mana here, yeah. which will hopefully then filter out outward, as well, outward yeah. as well, and, yeah. and be a representation. Um, uh, I kind of want to... Uh, finish on a on a not not that it's been negative but I always used to ask people you know what's breaking your heart right now and you know what are the things that we as a society can work on and fix and it got really super depressing so now I ask you know what gives you hope what's what what, you know you there's there's so much that and I don't want to get down this line too much but we've got this whole co-governance debate going on at the moment and it's not a debate you know, people it's been have, happening for it's years. It's been happening for years, <laughs> but no one's having a debate. No. They've made up their mind, in my mind, of what co-governance is, and that has led to more division rather than collaboration, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, uh, 
how do we get past that is kind of one thing. How do we have authentic, appropriate discourse where both parties come to the table wanting to change their mind, if you know what I mean, as opposed to come in ready to change the other person's mind? Yeah. Uh, that's not really the what gives you hope question, but I want to ask that one anyway. And, and, yeah. then, and then, do we? Is there a pathway forward to really reconcile some of the, whether it's hurt, whether it's trauma, whether it's whatever else that's going on? Yeah. Hmm. That's a tough one. I think for me, and I'll go back to something I said earlier. It's around that human-to-human stuff. So yeah. if you take a massive step back, and like everything's political, don't get me wrong, it sure. is because from a government perspective they regulate everything we do whether it be a direct influence or an indirect influence type Mm, thing mm. that's their job Mm. Um, but I think to take a step away from I guess the the, um, emotional attachment to small political things and just view people human to human first um, that's that's the where we start right because then you become suddenly aware of the fact that you don't have to change your worldview but you've got one yeah Yeah. so when you enter a space knowing that like this is the space i take up when i enter so i don't know these spaces and it's not necessarily better than that other space or that other person's opinion or that other person's experience yeah because it could be very different from mine for sure then that's that's one of the most important things we can do and I think I've been really, 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 really freaking lucky with that in my experience of like, I guess who I call my whānau, definitely, mm. something that I learned from dad, that I have to be blood to be whānau, but all of my friends are so different, like the places we came from are very different mm. um, and to see them as humans first and to know that we can align morally on certain things despite the fact we've all had very different experiences. Um, is one of the most beautiful things to, to experience. And so that kind of leading, and Katie Mills told me this, and I've never forgotten it. She's probably forgotten that she ever said it to me. Um, but, you know, she's always said, hurt people hurt people. And so oh, wow. you've got to heal yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, take yourself into a situation where your friends, or your whanau, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. as your friends, are the people that help to heal you. Yeah. Um, and you can see yourself reflected in them, and they can see yourself reflected in you. And yeah. um, so that... I guess we can see each other human to human first. Yeah, and I yeah, go from there, I guess, yeah. without getting too emotional. For so. sure. No, that's all right. <laughs> it's okay to be emotional. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, it's, it's just such a line of, of thinking that we could go down for a whole other half hour, but we won't. But it's that, that ability or that passion, that drive in order to see what's best. Yeah. However, the lenses people bring Seem, sometimes can be so divergent and from a political standpoint you know I've, I heard someone say this as well they firmly believe that both people on the left and people on the right want the best for a country yeah. they just feel there are different ways of getting there yeah. you know parent A and parent B want the best for their children they just feel there are different ways of getting there yeah. and I, I feel that's that, that sort of building that human to human putting all the other things aside mm-hmm. and just saying you know we actually want the best for this co-pop for this technology for this idea mm-hmm. We just think there are different ways of getting there, mm. and there are ways that we can come together to that. Mm. I think could be a really well, powerful, magical, I don't know what the right word is, yeah. way of, of achieving that. Yeah. But sometimes it needs us to, I guess, be reflective on what we're bringing to the table, mm. what experiences, what histories we bring to the table, but also what perceptions, attitudes, kind yeah. of uh, biases we might bring to the table yeah. as well yeah. in that space. Stop blaming each other and just look. Yeah. 
kind of like inward first and see what you harbour and hold and what the people around you, this is what I was saying about my friends, what the people around you are reflecting in terms yeah. of who you are um, and where they come from and the types of diversity that they bring to your life and yeah. the fact that they love you despite it all. Sure. Great saying. Um, you like because you love despite. You, you know, oh, oh, no, a, say that again. You like because. So you like something because, yep. it's fine, but you love typically Dis, oh, someone despite, despite uh, all of the other I things see. around. I see, I see. And so I think with the thing that I've learned from my friend circles, etc., and the beautiful things that they give me, and even my whānau circles, is that I like them because of certain things, but I love them despite all of the other ways that we might differ. Mm. And we can find each other on that human level first. Yeah. And it's made us very aligned. Like morally, we are all super aligned. Um, and I love that. It's, yeah. it's just a very special place to be and you wouldn't think at 25 years old right that that's the way we should think about the world or that those are the things that carry us through our work mm, life mm. balance or um or through work generally or you know when i'm sitting in a board meeting around a whole bunch of other you know what i'm thinking about sure. is the fact like but it's difficult to build that sense of love and love despite mm. without feeling a personal human connection as well mm. you know when we dehumanize or we we separate because that makes it easier to make hard decisions yeah. that that doesn't help it so it, it yeah um uh, i was listening to a sermon by uh, crystal van der sam down in dunedin talking about the role of matariki within christianity and uh, yeah just something that was fascinating to see the blend of culture and religion sort of thing and one of the things she said is that matariki for her and her um whanau is a time to reflect mm-hmm. but also a time to reflect upon reflecting in that we don't reflect enough we're not reflexive enough and we've become so quick to solve the problem in front of us and not reflect on what we might have done to cause that problem or what has caused that problem and stuff like that so even just you saying actually we need to stop and breathe and come in thinking about what we bring to the table and what those things are i think is really powerful and whether we can be more reflexive as well yeah so going back i mean we we kind of touched on it a little bit but that passion you have for rangatahi maori so young maori people those future leaders um I, I tell this story way too much, but I was working with an organization in the city and they showed me a, a, an engagement list of all the people they were going to talk about with this really important piece of work. And I very flippantly say, said, I, I think I'm both the youngest and brownest person on this list and I'm not that young and I'm not that brown, you know. <laughs> and, and they said, but it's just so hard to engage with young people, it's so hard. And, and I, I, I was challenged by that, but I also said, it doesn't sound like you want to engage with young voices. You want to find voices that you can listen to or that are easy to understand. And sometimes working with young people yeah. means hearing a different voice. Yeah. Working with diverse communities means hearing that you're not doing well enough. Uh, is this something that you we can fix? Is this something? What can we do to support the rangatahi Māori and their voices? I guess? Yeah, I think it's. I think that like be aware of how, and you have to very very overtly make yourself open to understanding the systems that uh, control how rangatahi can speak, particularly rangatahi Māori and then, God, don't add gender in there and like, you know, um, but the understanding how they operate and the effect that they may have on ability to participate, whether it looks or feels big to you or not, is a real thing. And I think often, instead of going into places with the view in mind that, you know, how someone else is experiencing or seeing this obstacle Mm. or um, barrier is very different to how I probably perceive it. So Mm. it's like, oh, you don't have any money, it's okay, I'll buy you a coffee, you know? Um, 
as a young student or whatever. Sure. That's a huge, a way bigger barrier for that person experiencing that, that, that than you know as a piece of text that you've read as a statistic yeah, yeah, from yeah. someone else, right? Because you're not living and experiencing it every day. Imagine every time you are asked to do something with a leader from somewhere that you can't afford to buy your coffee. Yeah. For example, this is a really stupid Or even metaphor. just driving somewhere yeah. and you know it's going to cost you $40 in petrol yeah. you know, that, and you're not going to get paid more than $60 to go down to the trip. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think being aware of those those barriers is like the first thing we have to do. Yeah. Um, and then operating in a way that makes it fair for those people to sure. experience that is, is helpful. And that comes from anything from like access like literally mm. being able to access the space right through to um, perceived barriers when you walk in the room. If everyone is older than you, it's terrifying. Your communication style might be different. Like I might say, stop, yeah. instead of kilda in an email, I don't know. But it's like, yeah, making room for, for that yeah. system yeah. to and style of communication or sure. access barrier, whatever, to actually be a real thing and how you see that person coming to the table yeah. is... And, and this is what I mean, you don't have to change your worldview and like experience that to know it. You can just acknowledge that it is yeah. a thing. And I think this is one of the things that I learned very much from Katie. We talk too much about Katie when we're together. You know, we shouldn't, you know. I know. It's, talk like about she's it. some, like, it's like she's died. Like, <laughs> you remember Katie? Yeah. That person who's now having an amazing time on her at OE. But um, not tokenizing youth voice, not just taking it because you can say, I have had a listen and we've gone and done things anyway, but also just realizing that the hierarchical nature of our society is this person has a degree, this person has 10 years of experience, therefore we should respect them. Not, this person actually comes from a different worldview, we should respect that, even though they don't have the credentials as such. And so, one of the things that challenged me when I was reading, and I hired Katie as this, and I'm trying to hire you as this, is my, my, my mentor. You know, not that I will mentor you as an old man and guide you in this very paternalistic, patriarchic way. But no, you tell me what I can do better as a young person. How do I make the world better for you sort yeah. of thing um, but our structures are pretty rigid mm. you know uh, when we look at political parties when everyone gets excited that Jacinda Ardern was one of the youngest world leaders at 37 that's still reasonably old mm. if you know what I mean mm. how many politicians are there that represent that youth voice by being young not yeah. just tokenizing them I say this as a as a lecturer that skateboards around campus and mm. stuff like that don't try to be young mm. you know try to just maybe look, look, listen and authentically engage yeah this. yeah yes yeah and I think for um, our, our rangatahi in particular to seek out and find those people who kind of just allow them to be young first and not have to conform to a way of communication or um, speaking a certain way etc cetera, etc cetera, is like the best thing we can do because what the other generation have that we don't have in our context often is like uh, um, united in numbers type thing yeah um, so it's, I guess it's not just necessarily finding rangatira who will listen in that sure. way but also knowing that together despite the fact you don't walk or talk or operate the same way as yep. you know they might something like parliament or just generally um, the way your parents might see the world um, find each other yeah um, because it's it's a lot more powerful when you have other people to lean on because it's sure. rough out there it's yeah. rough for, for our yeah. as well but yeah. they have each other that's yeah. the difference that makes it big, big yeah. yeah all right i'm going to go back and ask the question again because i don't think you we actually asked it but yeah. what what is giving you hope What's giving me hope? What's giving you hope? Is there anything that's giving you hope? Yeah. As the emergency vehicle goes past, yeah. that's quite the that's quite the foreshadowing yeah. of what 
let's not talk about all the things that we that are broken. Let's talk yeah. about the things that, that give, give you hope. hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I fundamentally do believe I am quite hopeful. Cool. Sometimes I will ignore like truthful, realistic statistics, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, just to be hopeful. Yeah. Um, not because I don't know that they're there, um, but because sometimes it's really helpful, right? And for me, what gives me hope every single day, and I'll go back to what I say time and time again, is the people you are around and surround yourself with, um, because. At the times that like shit feels like it's going south, those are the people that will catch you. Um, and it doesn't have to be lots of people. It can be one or two. Mm. Um, it can be people who, I, I think even the, to get really personal, like s- specific people, I don't think I hate anyone I've even dated, anything like that, or um, friendships that have ended, or um, even my whanau who like had very different views on like COVID, et cetera, to me. Um, I've never given up hope on things that those relationships can give me because I see them filling me with like love and the fact that I care about them and want to see this world support and be a better space for them is really important specifically the young young tamariki and my whanau so yeah and I would say if anyone is like lacking hope or whatever you don't have to want children or even like children whatever but just go and like be around children for a day and you will just be like holy crap these new humans are amazing they have so much energy and life and want to bring things to the world and like we owe them that we do owe them that don't hang out with young kids if you've got a thin skin though they are brutal oh hell yeah they'll tell you look ugly whatever that means I I tell this story um, to my friends but you know this friend's kid is young and pretty quiet he's mm-hmm. not the most social person and I've known him since he was born effectively mm-hmm. he must be about seven or eight and he just came up to me I was sitting on the floor he came up to me and just rubbed my bald head and went eh, like this and walked off and that was his first verbal engagement with me and I loved it it was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> that was how he engaged with me oh, Lordy. and this is this is brilliant anyway yeah. we can we can keep going for hours but yeah, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your huge busy schedule to meet in a cafe because you're in between yeah. meetings appreciate the work you're doing appreciate the challenges that you you are trying to overcome but also appreciate you and the things yeah. you're doing so kapai well done kia ora thank kia ora. you thanks no for being worries. my rangatira oh, this whatever. is wonderful whatever yeah you, right. are. you are i love it see ya